This is Bulls Beat on USF Bulls Unlimited. Each weekday morning, Bulls Beat is your stop for exclusive interviews, highlights, and the very latest on all sports at the University of South Florida. With today's show, here's your host, Derek Sharp. Quite a lot to get to on the program today, I'd say. As you probably know, on Sunday night, the women's basketball team found out it's seed for the NCAA tournament. We've got reaction from the head coach, Jose Fernandez. Going back to Columbia, South Carolina, that's right, home of the number one team in the country and the defending national champion, team the Bulls never saw last year. But, well, they'll have to see this year if they want to get to the Sweet 16 for the first time in school history. We've got a full weekend of softball, including some highlights of action heard on USF Bulls Unlimited. Baseball, great weekend for tennis. Also, women's golf. That's all coming up in the second segment. The first block will be reserved for basketball, including the news of Brian Gregory no longer being the head coach of the Bulls men's basketball program. And Beckford. That would be national champion high jumper Romaine Beckford. Oh, yeah, there's a lot of news and a lot of games that took place this weekend. But when you got a national champ, the first in school history in indoor track and field, that's where we start the show. Big time congratulations to the kid from Jamaica who we've spoken to several times over the last few weeks, and guess what? Probably going to bug him again this week now that he's a national champ. Romaine Beckford wins the high jump, and really, even though what he does is not easy, he won it with ease. It's one thing to win a national title, but really to do it, and as we've talked to Beckford over the last few weeks, he's participated in some big-time events, particularly the one in Chicago where he broke the school mark and at the American Athletic Conference did it again, and you knew that he had it in him. And he sure did. The first indoor track and field national champion in USF history. It was great to see the photo of Michael Kelly, who I know was at the selection show last night at the Yingling Center. Very well attended. We'll get there in just a few minutes. But he wanted to be there for Romaine Beckford actually getting back from Albuquerque, New Mexico, where this event took place. 16 competitors. Everybody got past the first height. Only a few were eliminated after the second height. Then you start to get a little more serious as at third height, 2.18 meters, which is seven feet and one and three quarters inches for those of you who are not as big a fans of the metric system. And you had 10 advance, including six who went down to their last jump. So now at 221, which is seven feet, three inches, you've got four that advance, two on their first jump, that'd be Beckford and Oklahoma's Vernon Turner, the defending champion, and two others Devin Loudermilk, a sophomore from Kansas, and Trey Allen from Louisville, who went down to their last height. So you figured those two might fall out, as it were, on the next height, and indeed that's what happened. Beckford gets his first attempt at 224, and Vernon Turner, after missing his first attempt, actually decides to pass on two other attempts. Now, when you do that, you give yourself just two attempts at the next height. So he figured, listen, Beckford just cleared this height. So I'm going to go ahead and move on to the next height and try and beat him there. Didn't work. In fact, Beckford had the three jumps at 227. Mind you, the mark of 226 was the conference and school record height that he cleared in Birmingham at the conference meet a couple of weeks back. And though he could not clear that height, which would have been a new school record on Saturday, neither could Turner in his just two attempts, making Romaine Beckford the national champion. Eric Jenkins says, I'm so happy for Romaine. He has worked extremely hard to put himself in a position to compete for the national championship. To make this meet is extremely hard, but win a national title against that field is no easy feat. 
Romaine Beckford, a student from USF, is the NCAA champion. What a day for the Bulls. Yep, you said it, Coach Jenkins. The last time the Bulls had a national champion was 1993, two-time in the outdoor 5K, John Dennis. So it has been a while, and he is going to get appropriately celebrated around campus, I'm sure. As again, already right when he got back to campus on Sunday night, there was the athletic director to greet him if you want to see that photo. It's a pretty good one on Michael Kelly's Twitter page. Also, you just heard the head coach say how tough it is to make the meet. Got to give some love to Nia Robinson on the women's side. She competed in the long jump that was on Friday. She ended up in 13th place at the event, which was won by Jasmine Moore of the Florida Gators. I guess when you have a national title in the indoor season, it puts a little pressure on you in the outdoor season, but hey, we'll take that pressure, right? Oh, speaking of uh, national champions, if the women's basketball team wants to make the Sweet 16 for the first time in school history, they'll have to go through said team. We'll get there in just a minute, but definitely wanted to mention, and this not have been shocking news after how the season ended, that Brian Gregory is no longer the head basketball coach of the men's program. This announcement was made on Friday, less than 24 hours after the Bulls' first round loss in the conference tournament. Just a very disappointing end of the season that had so much promise in it, at least with the offensive performance. And then the Bulls just stumbled to the finish line, ended up 14 and 18. In six seasons at USF, his record 79 and 107. Of course, highlighted by year two. 2018-19, the CBI championship year where the Bulls went 24-14. and But remembering back to that season, they still finished tied for seventh in the conference and below 500. In fact, never had a winning season in conference play. So many good things that Coach Gregory did, as Michael Kelly said in his statement. He has been a true ambassador for men's basketball. You know that this past season, really, if you listen to his show with Jim Lighthall, they did a great job of talking about bringing back Arthur Jones being the prime example, but guys like Rodenko Dobras and Chucky Atkins and really was invested in the USF program, but unfortunately the teams just didn't have the result on the court enough anyway, and that's why Brian Gregory was let go after six seasons. I know a lot of people feel this way. I'm wishing BG the best. If he wants to get right back into coaching, either as a head coach or an assistant, I don't think he's going to have any problems with that. I actually think he'd be great on the air as well, as long as he's not looking for my job, I think. He will find one right away, but probably want some family time first, and we'll keep an eye on what Brian Gregory does down the road, but it won't be as USF men's basketball head coach after six seasons. And for the time being, Larry Dixon will serve as the interim head coach. Well, last night at the Yingling Center, great crowd of invited and many invested fans of the women's basketball program, and it was a party none like we'd seen because this was, we've had selection show parties, but this was everybody down on the floor as far as the team went, along with the video board, which had been lowered. That's always a cool situation. Of course, the Bulls, last time we heard from them, weren't having so much of a party. They had lost to Wichita State in the quarterfinals of the American Athletic Conference Tournament. They were the regular season champs. They were the best team in the conference, but had a bad game last Tuesday. And when the emotions were still raw, actually, if you listen back to a replay of the game, you hear me say it right away. The number one seed goes down for the first time in tournament history. The Bulls are stunned by the final score of 65-53. What does this mean? Well, unfortunately, it could mean when they see their name appear in the NCAA tournament bracket, there's no question their name's going to appear. It'll have an 8 or a 9 next to it. And, of course, the difference between 8 and 9 is the jersey color you wear. Well, now based on my NCAA tournament experiences, maybe the better seed actually gets a better 
hotels. So, but that really is nothing that impacts you or anyone else listening. So as far as the Bulls went, that really did doom them to the 8-9 range. In fact, they were right in the middle of it because South Carolina is the number one overall seed. Therefore, just by the what they call the S-curve, the eighth seed in your section is the weakest eighth seed. So who knows? Even if the Bulls had won that game and then, say, lost to Houston in the semifinals, they'd probably still been in the 8-9 range. But that's where they were. That part was not a surprise. I honestly thought they were going to Blacksburg, Virginia, where Vodtech did get a one seed. The other ones, by the way, were deservedly Iowa and Stanford. I didn't think the committee would send the Bulls there two straight years, but... Having said that, right after South Carolina was announced and given the proper treatment on ESPN, it just came to me. We're going to be the next name announced. And before I could finish the thought. I don't know if you could tell, but there was a little bit of a delayed reaction there. I don't think that many were expecting the Bulls to get announced there. In fact, I'm sure of it. I think a lot of folks thought the Bulls would be a seven seed, and so you wait until you get down to the bottom of the first bracket. I thought Maryland would have been an interesting option, considering the Terrapins point guard is Lisa Pinzon, and New Maryland was going to be a two seed. The other big possibility was going to UConn and Storrs, Connecticut, which is where they sent Baylor as the seven seed. But instead, the Bulls, indeed, going back to Columbia, South Carolina, and to my point of why would the committee send them there two years in a row? Well, It's not like they had to play South Carolina last year. If they had had to play South Carolina last year, I'm guessing they would not have sent them back there. But as you know, the Bulls lost to Miami. So they'll have to get past Marquette first. Marquette out of the Big East, which was a very well-respected conference. West Virginia, a team that some thought had been knocked out of the bubble because they lost on a last-second layup in the quarterfinals of the Big 12. They get in. St. John's, a team that some thought had been knocked out. They got picked for a last four games, so the Big East was very well regarded, as were by the committee every single other power conference. You've got to include the Big East as the power six. There were no non-power conference teams seeded better than the Bulls. That would include Gonzaga, a team that was top 25 all year, got beaten its conference final. Gonzaga gets an 8-9 game. The two teams that are in the last voted on polls, top 25, Middle Tennessee State and UNLV, they get double-digit seeds. South Dakota State, which is a dynamite team and no one wants to play, they get great respect and they get stuck in an 8-9 game. I would watch out for South Dakota State. They got sent to Blacksburg. So even if the Bulls had gotten somewhere besides Columbia, South Carolina, it would have probably been in that 8 seed where Southern Cal sits and you're having to play South Dakota State and then Virginia Tech. So the Bulls draw is definitely not easy, but Ole Miss, a team that took South Carolina to overtime and finished fourth in the SEC, they got an eight seed, so they have to play Gonzaga, who I was just talking about, and then maybe Stanford. There's no easy way through the NCAA women's basketball tournament, but the Bulls just so happened got placed in Columbia, South Carolina. So we'll be at the Colonial Life Arena for you on Friday. Jose Fernandez's reaction to the whole situation. Like I, I told our guys, I, I, I think, you know, the reason why you get in that large is how we how we scheduled in November and December, right? And, you know, we didn't, uh, you know, the Houston loss at home hurt us and, and then getting bounced in the first round of the of the conference tournament doesn't help your seed. So probably two and a half weeks ago, we're looking at probably a six seed. 
you lose those two games, you move down to an eight. Last year we were a nine, right? So, you know, you got to put that behind us and go get ready and play a really good good Marquette team. And then, you know, you get there, you get an opportunity. If you want <clears throat> to play the, the best team in the country, it was the only time we've ever been bounced in that first round. It happens. It's part of sports, right? It wasn't our night. We didn't play well. We didn't coach well. I didn't do a, I, I, you know, apparently I didn't do a good enough job preparing those guys. So, you know, all focus is, uh, is put on Marquette right now. And we will do the same as we go along during the course of the week. Also hear from Elena Chinecki and Dulcie Fankamangiati, who we spoke to last night as they look forward. So we'll save those comments for you. That loss to Wichita State definitely did not help the Bulls, but got to take a step back and look at teams like Columbia, who were atop their Ivy League conference all year long near the voted-on polls, around 30 in the net rankings. They get beat in their conference semifinals, and they're in the NIT. As, like the men's field, they announced the first four out, which included an Oregon team, which actually ended in the top 20 in the computer polls because of their schedule, but they had a bunch of good losses, but too many losses, 14 of them. We knew that Texas, a team the Bulls beat, was going to be one of the regional hosts for the first round. Turns out the Bulls played three hosts because both Ohio State and Villanova get that duty as well. The Bulls, in all, played six NCAA tournament teams in their non-conference schedule. Win against Alabama. The other two that they lost to were Michigan, which finished just outside the hosting range, and NC State, which got a seven seed. And we can tell you now the game time. The Bulls will, just like last year, might as well complete the identical nature of the draw, be playing in the first game of the first full round. Of course, the first four begins the tournament technically on Wednesday, but Friday at 11.30 in the morning, the Bulls will be playing Marquette. A lot more to tell you about with baseball and softball and tennis and golf when we continue on Bulls Beat. Back to the beat. Bulls Beat continues with Derek Sharp. It was fun bringing you some softball action this weekend. We'll get there in just a few minutes along with a recap of what happened with baseball. A very interesting Sunday that could have gone a lot worse than it did. The Bulls split a pair with Long Beach State after dropping their first one on Saturday. Women's golf actually didn't play Sunday because of weather, but another good showing. But I want to start off with tennis because both teams had a phenomenal pair of victories. And officially, I just want to, if anyone was listening for me fumbling on Sunday during softball to try and find the men's tennis score from Sunday, boy, too many sports happening at once because they actually play UAB next Sunday. They definitely played two matches on Saturday and won them both. The men's team at one point found themselves sitting at 4-8 and eight this year. Now they're one match shy of being back to 500. Remember, they went to Lynchburg, Virginia, and grabbed a win against top 50 Penn State and then beat Liberty in a tight one. Last Monday, they lost at top 50 Texas A&M, but they returned to action at home and took care of business on Saturday. First of all, taking down Pacific 4 to nothing. Now, the Bulls were playing two matches on this day, so you definitely want to get the first one over with as quickly as possible if you can, and winning the doubles point really helps. And the Bulls had to go to a tiebreaker on the number three doubles court to pull that off, and they got the win 7-3 to three in the breaker by Thomas Pavlikovich-Smith and Tom Pisani. And then, really, it was going to be an easy, you could just tell from the beginning, securing of the three singles matches that it was required to get the result as, especially at the number five court, Elijah Cham, the freshman from Australia, wins 6-love, six 6-1. Six Pisani won his on the number six court, first set, 6-1. And Alvin Todorica on the number three court wins his first set, 
6-2 the Bulls. Got pushed in the other matches. Actually, Davide Tatora was down in his at the top spot, and Bruno Oliveira got pushed to a tiebreaker, taking his first set. But the three players I just mentioned easily won in straight sets. So 4 nothing. then you turn around and get ready for NC Wilmington. This match was not nearly as easy as the Bulls once again had to win a tiebreaker to take the doubles point and got it at the number one spot from Tortora and Oliveira. So again, you just have to split the six singles matches, and they did. It came down to the last one with Oliveira, who again won a first set tiebreaker but dropped the second. All the other matches were done. Only one other went to three sets. NC Wilmington had taken that, so it forced Oliveira to win at number four against Trey Mallory, and he did. 6-3 in the third set. So a tight, hard-earned win for the Bulls. The other singles victories, which were pretty important, were by Tortora, 7-5, 6-love, and Todorica, 6-4, 6-4. Cham had lost at the number five spot in a second set tiebreaker. That got the Seahawks back in it. And then again, they take the third set at number six. So that was all even. Kind of a nail-biter, but the Bulls are now 8-9 on the season. The women keep on winning. They are two matches above 500 after taking victories in Jacksonville on Friday and Saturday. Friday was pretty easy, but there was a definite caveat to this one. VCU had a player get injured in its previous match, and they were down a player. So when you only can put out two doubles teams, you have to win them both. And so right when the Bulls' number one team of Grace Schumacher and Sierra Barry won 6-1, the Bulls were ahead. And they were already ahead 2-0 because of a forfeit at the number 6 single spot, meaning they just had to win twice in singles. And they let all the matches play out, and really VCU gave a good account, especially their number 3 player, Victoria Matasova, beats the Bulls' Laura Pelissé 6-love, six 6-2. Six but again, the Bulls just had to actually win two of the five singles matches being played. Barry prevailed 6-3, six 6-2. Six and the win at the number 5 court by Marta Falsetto-Font wrapped it up 6-4, six 6-3. Six and... You know what? That was kind of important because Ireland Simi was being pushed to a first set tiebreaker. We told you that Pelissé lost her first set 6-love and eventually the match. And Grace Schumacher dropped her first set in a tiebreaker. They played that out as Schumacher takes the second 7-5. And since everything was clinched, they went ahead and played what's called a super tiebreaker in the third set, first to 10 points. And Schumacher technically gets the win 10-7. So easy win, yes, 6-1, but extenuating circumstances. Not an easy win on Saturday at UNF. The Bulls were down to the Ospreys 3-1 to and had to rally back to take the match. They lost the doubles point, so they had to win four of the six singles. And Sierra Berry was losing to a top 100 player at the number one court, so they lost the doubles point. Their top player got beat, and yet the Bulls came back for the victory. This was pretty huge, actually. Palisse, who we just told you, Lost 6-love, six 6-2 six a day before. Yeah, she took a tight first set, 7-5, to five, and then rolled 6-love in the second set. But then Barry gets beat, and then Ireland Simi loses in three sets. So the Bulls had to take the final three matches, and they did. What a comeback victory this was. First of all, Marta Falsetto-Font wins in her third set, and then two long two-setters where the Bulls take the first. They win 7-5. to five. In the second, first, Leona Walsh, the freshman from Ireland, not to be confused with Ireland Simi, who's from Austin, Texas, and then Grace Schumacher, who's from Australia. So that's a big W for the Bulls to stay above 500 at 7-5, and, and you can see them in action tomorrow. 
They're actually at home against Cincinnati. We'll wrap up with women's golf here in a few minutes, but the bat and ball sports on the weekend now. Softball went 3-2 and two at its event after losing the first game Thursday, a tough one where, as you heard on Friday's show, Peyton Dixon had a no-hitter going and could have kept it going, but an error with two outs not only allowed Penn State the opportunity to score, but eventually break up the no-hitter in a 3-2 win. Then on Friday, another Big Ten opponent, one that made the NCAA tournament last year, Illinois, and again, the defense cost the Bulls. Now, they didn't score, so I'm not an expert, but if you don't score, you're not going to win a game. But the three runs that Illinois got in the second inning were all unearned. An error on a makeable play with the bases loaded led to the two runs getting scored, and then the single that Illinois had, its actual only run-scoring hit. This was a team that scored a bunch of runs this weekend on errors and sacrifices and not many actual run-scoring hits, but hey, they weren't complaining. They beat the Bulls 4 to nothing. And guess what? They were beating the Bulls 1 to nothing on another defensive misplay. Illinois let off the fourth with a single, drops down a bunt that travels all of about 10 feet and scores the runner from first. Bulls get the out at first, but then throw it away, trying to get the double play at third. Ironically, they would actually do the same thing and get the double play to end the inning, but the Bulls were getting blank 1-0. Now remember, they got shut out by Illinois on Friday and were losing 1-0 against Illinois' all-time strikeouts leader, Sidney Sickles. And then Vivian Pond, who had quite the weekend, blasts what looks like a tying homer, pulls it millimeters foul. So you're getting blanked by a team. That's a frustrating moment. Or on a 3-2 and two pitch, after taking a close one, 2-2, two and two, she blasts a triple to the wall. Pond turns it into a triple. Hallie Bryant, leader of the Bulls in RBI, lines an 0-2 pitch for a tying single. Bryant finally got that hit the Bulls had been looking for. Still, it was 1-1 one one with two outs, and the Bulls looked like they were going to have to settle for tying it up until Megan Piero triples. Blasts the ball into the right field corner. And by the way, two triples in one inning. Sydney Sickles, the Illinois pitcher, gave up two triples all of last year. I actually looked it up. She had given up two triples in a game twice, but that was back in 21. And that was all that Peyton Dixon would need. She retired the next five batters. Actually, Illinois got a two-out double before Dixon gets a game-ending strikeout. The Bulls get another low-scoring win against Marist with Jaden Martinez, another lefty freshman going the first five innings for the win a two-hitter striking out five and then Peyton Dixon gets saved two two hitless innings the two runs by the Bulls against the Marist ace were pretty much identical a leadoff double in both the fifth and the sixth in the fifth it was Jordan Cadlub in the sixth it was Marissa Tribal piece then a sacrifice and a sacrifice fly RBI first from Piero then from Ryan Eigeman. So could the Bulls finish off the winning weekend on Sunday? We were back on the microphone for that. And after the top of the first, I was pretty sure I was a curse because spent Saturday with family, and that was, of course, the day the Bulls won the two games. I had called the two games they had lost, and they were down 3 nothing in the top of the first as Antoinette Hill, the righty for the Bulls, getting just her second start going up against a almost exclusive right-hand hitting St. Francis team, surrendered three straight two-out RBI hits, and that was it for her. She was pulled from the game, but the Bulls, which was good for my sanity, had a quick answer, scoring four runs in the bottom of the first. They got helped out by Grace Vesco, who is St. Francis's ace pitcher, and by the way, a couple years ago went 22-4 and four with the one ERA, and by the way, St. Francis has made the NCAA tournament the last five years, and so with her having a 3-0 lead, you were a little concerned, although she had walked seven recently in a win and had walked at least six, four times already this year. So the Bulls were patient and got the benefit of three walks, an RBI double from Marissa Tribal piece, 
A bases loaded walk. Also give credit to Kathy Garcia, the freshman from Jefferson, doing what she needed to do to get that first rib and the lead. Bases loaded, tie game, three in for the Bulls here. And she just gets contact over to second base and they're gonna take the lead. There was no play at home, there might have been, but Garcia with her first RBI and the Bulls have come all the way back from three nothing. It's four to three. After a 37 minute long first inning, the game would settle down. Camille Ortiz Martinez puts a ball in play with two outs and the bases loaded in the fourth, which was thrown away. She still had to plow through some contact to get to first, and it turned into a pretty much needed pair of runs because, let me tell you, St. Francis didn't give up. They got to Peyton Dixon, who entered in the fourth, for three runs on five hits in the fifth inning, and we were tied. The Bulls had an immediate answer in the bottom of the fifth, though, as it was Megan Pierre with the single couple of steals the Bulls had eight steals on this day and another RBI ground out which frankly there was a play to be made at the plate they didn't make it and the Bulls went back ahead then bring in Vivian Pond you know she had pitched once this year didn't get anybody out pitched six innings last year basically was a pitcher turned hitter but maybe keep them off balance and she got a one two three six and two much needed runs of support in the bottom of the Six, nine to six. So with three more righties coming up, Ken Erickson was going to give Pond the chance at a save. She gives up a hit but stays in the game at first base. Dixon re-enters to get the lefty first pitch single. So bring Pond back on for a first career save. Anything up the middle probably keeps this game going on. And there is right to shortstop. Garcia's got to hurry the throw. And she's out. Boy, that was not an easy play. Like I said, they had her play deep, and Alyssa Reno, just coming off the bench, had to really extend to get that final out. And Vivian Pond gets the save. A wild one here today. Oh, that was a close play, by the way, and very fitting that Alyssa Reno had to make kind of a tough grab to beat the runner barely after she had just come into the game at first base for Peyton Dixon, who was sitting there for a second. That was entertaining, and the Bulls are now 15-12. and 12. They play a doubleheader against JU on Wednesday night. Baseball brings a 5-11 and 11 record home from Long Beach. They lose the first two games 8 to nothing. Rain washed it into a Saturday night opener, and the Bulls could not get it going offensively. Decent pitching. They used a half dozen guys, and so they were hoping for a better start from Hunter Mink in the first of two on Sunday, and he gave up six runs in the first inning. Actually ended up pitching three Major love to Jackson Cothern, who pitched the next three one-hit scoreless innings. But speaking of one hit, the Bulls couldn't get one against the Gonzaga transfer, Nico Zeglin. He went seven innings, struck out 13 Bulls, and they were getting no hit until Marcus Brodell got one to start off the ninth. But still two straight 8 nothing losses. You needed the offense to get going. And after having a total of no runs and three hits in their first two games, of course, they get five hits in a row in the first inning of Game 3 and a fantastic start by Jack Siebert. Seven innings for the win. Just like last Tuesday when Nolan Hootie struck out 10 and you hoped it would carry over momentum to Long Beach and it didn't, let's hope that Sunday's 6-2 victory carries some momentum over to tomorrow night when the Bulls host Dartmouth. The Bulls got seven hits alone from the top three in their order, including three from leadoff man now, John Montez, who hit a home run. We conclude with golf, a pretty strong showing for the women's team in Augusta, Georgia. Rain washed out the event on Sunday, so it ended up being a 36-hole, all-played-on-Saturday situation. And the Bulls finished ahead of two top 25 teams 
and another top 50, that being Alabama. Sixth place out of 14, a 7 over par score. Wake Forest, number 2 in the country, rolled 13 under par. The host Augusta was 2 under, then 12th ranked Florida State, the only other squad under par. Bulls finish again at 7 over par. Melanie Green led the way for them with 271 cards. That's 2 under for the tournament, tied for ninth. Juliana Camargo tied for 12th as the Bulls continue their solid spring. Men's golf is playing, in fact, underway as we speak at the Rochant Classic. This is in Southern Pines, North Carolina. And as we are giving this to you in the 11 o'clock hour, how about a first-place start for USF? Shuby Joglon bogeyed his first hole, but bounced back with three birdies on the front nine. Oh, oh yeah, an eagle as Sam Nicholson also eagled the par-5 fifth hole. So as we're taping this, the Bulls are in first place and a much-needed good start to what they hope is a victory to get them going as they have, frankly, and Coach Steve Bradley would admit this, struggled so far in the fall and the spring. So I have a full roundup of that tomorrow morning on Bulls Beat. We'll give you hopefully some players of the week in baseball and softball. Also much more on the women's basketball team and whatever else is happening. We'll preview with some more background. The baseball series against Dartmouth, it is a two-game series. Honestly, we don't know what the schedule is going to be like this week just because of me perhaps being away for the full weekend, let's hope, as opposed to, like last year, the possibility is that the Bulls could be the first team sent home because they play the very first game. And let me tell you, based on experience, the NCAA, you lose that first game, you're gone. You're you're not sticking around in town for the duration or the end of the day. So let's hope for a much more different experience this year. And, of course, we'll get you more set for that Marquette matchup later on in the week. The Bulls, as it turned out, beat three NCAA tournament teams this year. We're about to replay those for you. And when those replays are done, so around 4.30, we'll give you the full conference outlook around the American. If you want to check out the full schedule, go to GoUSFBulls.com and click on that Fans tab up at the top of the page, and you'll see the Bulls Unlimited schedule. We love bringing Bulls beat on the daily, but until tomorrow, this has been the Monday Show. I'm Derek Sharp.